0: Amazing. <laughs> I, I awesome. now know what it's like to be in the sun all the time and it's just, it's a game changer, I tell you. like,
1: <laughs> What's the coldest it gets to in Florida? What? Like What's the sort of coldest it would get to in Florida?
0: Um, You know, I was here in December around the holidays and it was getting as low as like in the 30s and 40s, which is pretty cold for South Florida, but... Um, Like, I'm used to that type of weather since I'm from Maryland, but people in Florida are like babies about it. Um, (laughs) But I totally get it now. I think, like, your body just adjusts and you're like, this
1: is so cold. (laughs) 100%. Like, the difference of complete, like, tropical sort of weather versus the normal sort of summer-winter-like cycle. It's like, in Australia, the south Melbourne, where I'm from, is that same sort of, similar to Maryland, like, obviously not getting as cold, but summer winter normally and then like the north is a lot more tropical where it's like wet and dry season rather than summer winter like spring autumn etc uh where are you exactly just for everyone
0: who's tuning in
1: uh melbourne australia so right down sort of the southeast there, so like the second biggest uh city in melbourne other than sydney yeah
0: okay awesome yeah i know uh some people are gonna like go back and re-watch this and they'll probably age awesome. and um, like, I know both of our audiences are going to see this, but uh, why don't you just give a background before we dive into all the talking points that you laid out? Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <your> so,
1: <laughs> my name's Aaron. I run Audra Performance, uh athletic development personal training business out of Melbourne. And yeah, I work with a whole range of sort of different athletes and general population, basically focused on just making people move better live healthy lives through their own body, through their own sort of perception, I guess, of their life and enjoy their training. Whether that be, yeah, like a young 13-year-old athlete or someone that is 65 that's had hip replacements that just wants to move better. Like my view is that training all falls on the same sort of spectrum there, whether it's a young, healthy person, an older, maybe not as healthy person. It's just different levels on the same spectrum. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I love that, and we we are going to dive into that today on youth training, but also
1: 100%.
0: for adults. And um, yeah, why don't we why don't we just dive into uh, yeah, awesome what we had planned? We'll we could go on for hours, everyone. But, <laughs> um, I mean, we'll see where it goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. So the first sort of point that I had for us to touch on was obviously we work with quite I'd say quite different. Like you're very focused on a lot of youth athletes, which I think is awesome, and it's a great foundation setting there. I'd love to know your thoughts on how that differs from basically training youths and having that as a huge focus to adult training, and what sort of concepts match up and what differences you find. Mm-hmm.
0: That is an amazing question, and uh, funny enough, like when I started my career, I trained mainly uh, senior citizens. And um, what I was finding was, uh, a they needed this the most. Um, it's it's a population we tend to forget about. It's like you're either like a, a youth athlete or an athlete or a pro, and it's like oh, like you know, people who are done sports or retired, like whatever. But these people need it the most, and they just want to make sure that they're they're healthy. Um, they can uh, walk to their mailbox. They can uh, golf. They can hike. They can do things that they love um later in life and i love that because i think there's like this mindset when people turn like 50 they're like oh well just wait it goes downhill and it's like no it 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 doesn't have to i mean the body is so capable it's so adaptable you can be stronger at age 50 than you were at age 20. (laughs) um and i'm
1: just
0: like um like even like in college like yeah like we were in good shape but I feel now as a 31 year old I'm like in much better shape like it's insane. Um, So I think the training is going to be it's similar like with uh, the senior citizens we did like heavy deadlifting Um, obviously we, we progressed it like we (laughs)
1: Oh, good, oh, good. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, everyone's everyone's doing similar movements, and um, I had some very impressive older people who were deadlifting over like 135 pounds, or um, doing uh, ups from the floor, or uh, pull ups, or and, and even like power exercises, like um, me- medicine ball throws, or um, just like low impact plyometrics, uh, just to keep keep them uh, developing their fast twitch muscles. So. Yeah, I I would say it's similar. And um, when you're teaching the youth, you're still starting at at that uh, movement pattern teaching. And then someone who's a senior citizen, it's like you're revisiting that as well too, because maybe they're new to this stuff as well. Um, It's just awesome. It's just awesome uh, with both populations. You can just see the progression and, and how beneficial it is for both it's like one population is just beginning their life and then the other is just like towards the end but like they still can crush it
1: <laughs> exactly like there's still so much room for improvement like with say some of my like adult clients that haven't really had a big focus on fitness earlier in their life and they've only really gotten into it sort of as they've gotten older at the age of 50 they're healthier faster arguably faster fitter stronger and move better than they did at 25 like yeah yeah by a conventional they're like age older yeah but if they move better their body feels better on a day-to-day they can do more accomplished feats like is that technically older is it not like where do you draw the distinction as to what makes you old yeah and that that's interesting and then like obviously going back on the other end of like the the user sort of perspective like the way i see one of the main differences there is are you building or refining and this goes to whether they're athletes or just general kids you're trying to keep active and older adults like mm-hmm. you're trying to obviously ingrain these good patterns into them like neurologically and like teaching them to move within their own body like improving their proprioception like coordination and even just keeping their body dialed in as they're growing especially through like puberty and the like like rapid growth spurts if you're not constantly performing a lot of different movements activities and stuff that's why you end up with say a lot of like teenagers that have had these rapid growth spurts and have done no physical exercise or anything through that time. Mm -hmm. And they look like they're trying to walk on stilts just because they haven't had to explore and really practice the skill of coordinating their body. Mm -hmm. And then whether that goes on to adulthood and they've never really participated in anything. And it looks like they could go for like a light jog and it could look like they're trying to basically hop on the spot just because they've never had to practice the demand Mm -hmm. of running. And whether that that person needs something super basic or super advanced like it's besides the point it's just getting them better at doing what they need to do
0: Mm -hmm. now do you think uh everyone is an athlete
1: i would say so yeah in my opinion obviously varying capacities as to what we can do very few people are going to be super super dominant at a lot of different things everyone's going to have normally their own niches like a pro in one situation might be a con in another. So say I'm quite tall, like I'm about 6'6", six, six, and I've got super long arms, awesome for basketball. Anything that requires me to be quite small, quite fast, doesn't really work as well for, but it's neither bad or good. Like it's all how you frame it. Mm-hmm. And then going back to everyone being an athlete, I, I would strongly say so. Like, I think everyone can benefit from sprint training, obviously modified to an appropriate intensity and sort of skill level. Yeah, strength training like power work like you're saying plyometrics jumping everything like that even for for someone like a 60 year old 65 year old 70 year old however long it goes like they're all good capacity training methods and it's all about in my opinion the end adaptation you're trying to get so i wouldn't just put jumping for the sake of saying you can jump i would Mm -hmm. say what are we trying to get out of this jumping Mm -hmm. what's the end goal there Is this the most efficient way? If it is, awesome, we keep going. If it's not, we refine, find something that might work a little more efficiently, might work quicker, might work with less overall sort of cost benefit there Mm -hmm. that may be less likely to hurt you or something like that and just go from there. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing like people think, yeah, as you were saying, you get to age 50 and it's all downhill from there. Like there are people in their mid-70s running marathons that neither of us could come close to. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, is in their 60s, like lifting over 200 kilos on a deadlift, like 405 yeah. pounds, like that's it's insanity. Yeah, and, but it and... just shows to go shows that you don't you don't finish your capacity at 50, and it doesn't just drop down linearly. Yeah, like if you keep training, you keep that.
0: Yeah. And that's important too. Like you, you have to put in the work. It's not going to be easy if you really want to continue to get stronger uh, when you're older uh, and have healthy joints and have strong bones. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's, it is rewarding. And like you said, you can do like marathons or uh, there's a lot of like older CrossFitters that are like cranking out pull-ups. Exactly. This is really impressive. And actually, um, when I was snowboarding last month, I'm seeing like people like in their eighties, like on snowboards, just like bombing it down the mountain. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm like still like trying to like get my feet under me. And I'm just like, dang, like I want to be that. <laughs> and hundred you know, percent, firing. And even something like snowboarding's like you got to be really strong and have a lot of endurance to be able to last an eight-hour day on the slopes.
1: Hundred percent.
0: These people were just bombing it down the mountain, and I, they were just nonstop. And I was like, "That's amazing."
1: <laughs> it's the sort of thing as well. Like, if you don't do it very often, you're so sore in so many unusual places the next day because it's just such a yeah. unique demand yeah. on the body. There,
0: yeah. Like another
1: point there. I saw a video the other day of Tony Hawk at I think he's at fifty six now, like on like one of the the mega ramps. It's basically a vertical drop. Doing a seven twenty. Like, how many people? alive regardless of age could do something like that and his body would have gone through the absolute trials and tribulations of the amount of falls breaks concussions everything under the sun and he's still able to perform that because he's given that demand over time and it's the sort of thing like i've read i've read a good i think it was an article actually about how every 10 years is a great point to essentially reassess your entire training like look at all your methodologies. So whether from 15 to 25, you do a lot of like heavy lifting, you're in your real like sort of bro phase as a lot of people are when they get into the gym initially. And then you start to smarten up, you refine your methods, you understand a little bit more about what you're doing. But then as your body sort of hits another age back, essentially, not to associate that with performance drop, but I mean, at the end of the day, your joints have more wear on them. Your muscles and legs have more kilometers. So Just being conscious of that and working it accordingly. Like it's the sort of thing where a youth athlete that's 15 year old could just basically roll up to their game, whether it be soccer, lacrosse, whatever it be, and jump straight on the field and play. Not smart. Not really. Not the best warm up, but they're probably going to get through without any major injury. If either of us tried that or someone maybe 20 years our senior, it's not going to go as well. So you do have to be a lot more conscious in that sort of element as to giving your body what it needs to succeed. And that, that changes sort of life period to life period. Like I'd say in your teens to your 20s to your 30s to your 40s, they're all going to look quite different there as mm-hmm. to how much warming up you need, how much cooling down you should do, the amount of like recovery you should really try and incorporate outside those sessions. And yeah, a lot, a lot of sort of factors like that where the training and performance itself may not change hugely but the associated work outside that does differ. And that's where a lot of that sort of perception of people dropping off happens because they can't do the same things on game day because they're not devoting that time outside of that game day to match that demand. Like you look at someone like Tom Brady. He's obviously unparalleled longevity, but you look at the amount of prep and time and how seriously he treats his recovery, his nutrition, his mental recovery even they're all huge factors that so many people pass over and I would say, don't give them their due diligence there to be able to maximize how much they can do because they're not willing to put that extra time in. Mm -hmm. But then they blame their body and saying, Oh, like it's, it's just my body wearing out. But like, is it, is it really?
0: Yeah. That's such a a great tip to just constantly uh, reevaluate every several years, how your training is going and, yeah, it's, it's always going to be changing. And your body is always going to need a new stimulus. Um, or maybe you start to develop, uh, to develop certain imbalances or asymmetries and you need to just uh, correct those. Um, I think, like, the best example I can think of here is, uh, like, a marathon runner um, in, in their 60s. And maybe they're just running so much, like, over and over again that their, their gait just becomes totally jacked up. Uh, And then maybe they have to go into the the weight room or do more like mobility work or like really working on their running form. So it's important to just really look at uh, your training program and and analyze it and just know your body um, like Mm -hmm. really in tune with when, when you're feeling sore, when you feel like you're not having as much output as you normally would. Um, and the recovery piece, that's, that's also a good one. That's, your output is dependent on how well and how fast you can recover. And um, I don't know what, what your top are for recovery, but I always say like sleep, nutrition, and then uh, stress, stress management, which could mean like uh, focusing on your breath or uh, even just meditation or, or going for walks in nature and getting 100%. sun. So those are like my, my top three. But everything else, like cryotherapy, ice baths, like cool, like I guess. But if you have nutrition, you, sleep, and stress, you're
1: good. <laughs> exactly. You want to have the big pillars in place before you worry about the the one to five percenters on top there. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can have a five thousand dollar cryo session every day for a month, but if you're sleeping four to half hours a night, like it's not gonna save you. Yeah. You're, you're trying to empty the Titanic sinking down with a little paper cup. Like it's it's not going to do much.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that's a, the sort of thing. If it's a nervous system breakdown, that's that's not going to help. It's not going to solve what's exactly. going on internally.
1: Hundred percent. And even going back to to the runner you were mentioning in terms of like the movement efficiency and the like, there, like the more volume put in with a slightly suboptimal sort of position, gait, whatever it may be, the bigger the sort of consequence becomes. Like. If I have a yeah. pebble in my shoe and I do a kilometer of walking like it's not really a big deal but if I walk a 100 kilometers with that same pebble in my shoe as a incorrect gait or form sort of issue that becomes a lot more magnified and then the amount of stress that somewhere up or down my body is going to take becomes yeah. so much larger than it would be if I worked on that consciously as I'm going along in that time period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what are sad. your thoughts on the sort of development and maturation of like a youth athlete say like the the 10 to 15 year old range like and Mm -hmm. how that would differ to an adult there
0: so it 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 can be an exciting time for some and it can be a frustrating time for some Um, So your, your early matures are the ones who are at a huge physical advantage because they're, they're getting stronger. They're getting faster. uh, Maybe they're, they're taller and have a longer stride length. And then you have your late bloomers who are a a year or two behind and, and they're shorter. uh, Maybe they're more uncoordinated. They're slower. Their change of direction isn't as sharp. So um, with the, the late bloomers, I, I really like to empower them and just tell them, hey, like, here's some things that you can control and we, we can do the work in the weight room. We can really spend this time to work on your technique, but also really own your technical skills in your sport. So your soccer skills or uh, your lacrosse skills and, and your 1v1s and your dodging, like that stuff is like really good for, for late bloomers. Um, but as, as far as a mental standpoint, it can get hard because then the, the parent gets frustrated and the parent just needs to be educated that, look, like this is just an organic process of uh, child development and this is something we can't, we can't change what happens from a physiological standpoint, but we can uh, get them uh, the right training and it's also going to take some patience. And I always like to ask parents during this time, like, what do you want most for your kid? So if it's like a 10 year old, like, do you, do you want them to be the best at age 10? Or are you willing to make sure we focus on what we can, they stay healthy, we're not putting too much pressure on them, and then they're the best when they finish high school or they're in college, Um, so those conversations are, are tough to have because I get it. Like people are frustrated, but we have to remember that these are kids, uh, whose bones are growing, whose muscles are growing. Um, they're going through a lot of like social and emotional changes and girls are hitting puberty early. Like it's, it's a tough time. Um, but I always like to come back to, we, we can do, uh, what we can control, uh, one more thing I do want to say about late bloomers is I've found that when they get to that point uh, after the growth spurt, they do tend to surpass the um, early maturers if they do the, the proper training. And not just physically, but they also surpass them mentally because the, the late bloomers have to really work. Um, whereas like the early learners are like, oh, well, we're just going to outrun everyone. Like we're, we're giving everything, you know, like, so the way is exciting because they just develop this, this grit, this like, okay, nothing is handed to me. Like I, I got to work for it. And like when they're in high school and college, they're like the grittiest kids. Um, so I always tell parents like this, like it sucks now, but like, I promise it will get better. (laughs)
1: 100 percent like it's it's neither a pro or a con there's going to be two sides to every coin like that yeah like the two biggest points i take out of everything you've said there is a combination of delayed gratification mm-hmm. you you may not get it instantly do you want them to be good now like are you going to win this game this weekend or do you want them to win a div one championship in college 10 years down the line or whatever yeah. it may be and then also a stoic mindset of just be willing to put in the work, focus on the process and not the outcome. If you're only worried about winning the game, like there's so many steps to accomplish before you get there. You're probably not even going to get there. Do what you can today. Control your actions. Be the best you can and then let everything else take care of itself. Like All you can control is what you're doing in the moment. There's no future. There's no past. You're going to get caught anxious thinking about what may come, what may not happen, what may happen or you're going to get caught in the past where you're thinking about previous things that have happened but aren't real now mm-hmm. and getting distracted there will like allow you to or will force you to sort of not be present and not make the most of that moment and then obviously a sort of the, the difference of like the early bloomers versus late bloomers it's quite interesting like, I, I pretty much agree with your theory there of the, the ones that feel they have the adversity to go up against have more practice going against adversity they have to learn to overcome yeah. a disadvantageous situation Yeah, the people that Uh, whether it be just very genetically talented at a sport or are just great athletes to begin with and go through that sort of early maturation period, they don't have their back up against the wall. Like, they may not have experienced it. Some may be lucky enough to be put in situations as well where they are artificially or, like, uh, yeah, artificially created manufactured situations like that where they have to back against the wall perform. And they may develop it that way, but it's not like a a constant thing. It's not a constant theme in their training and sport and endeavours where someone that is behind physically or maturationally wise or whatever it may be, or maybe just less talented and have to work substantially harder, have to put in all those extra one percenters of like the extra recovery to try and improve themselves as best they can. Whether it be more film room study to actually understand their sport better, whether it be more technical work. Those are all great leveling factors where you give enough of a time frame, you can overtake that genetic gap and more. Like you look at someone like Kobe Bryant, where it's I would say it's a perfect combination of both. Very physically talented. No one's going to deny that. But not the most physically talented. Like he wasn't the highest jumper. He wasn't the fastest runner. He wasn't the most skilled player, but worked on all of those individual pieces of his game to actually put them together. Like was known as a relentless film room man, would put in four sessions a day of two to three hours basically working on the fundamentals to be so good at fundamentals that no one was better than him and then you look at what that leads to where he's doing these insane things you're dropping 81 points and things like that where people are like how is that even conceivable because he's so good at the basics
0: yeah yeah it's so true and there's so many examples like that of of people who just work their tails off and just really enjoy the process. And then like people like Kobe or like Alex Morgan or even Serena Williams, it's like, they're still getting better. Tom Brady still getting better. Like, I think everyone's like, oh, well we need to be good for like this year for this like U12 season. It's like,
1: well,
0: look at the greats and like, did they get a little bit better each year, a little bit better, a little bit better? Yes, like yeah. your 12 year old is going to be okay. Like,
1: 100%. I, I
0: know it's hard, I know it's hard and I've, I've coached so many kids, I'm not a parent. I don't think I'll ever be one, but I understand it's the hardest job in the world. And like, I want the best for my soccer players and athletes I work with, of course. but I also want to be realistic Um, in terms of physiology, but also in terms of just developing this mental resilience and really leaning into the process. Like, it's going to get hard. Like, if you are a a youth athlete, you are going to fail thousands of times. You're going to cry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be slow. It's going to happen, everyone. Like, but then when you – it's life. It, it really is. And yeah. it's like... And then when you accomplish something amazing, you look back on all those bad times and you're like, dang, that was awesome. Like, cause,
1: I wouldn't even necessarily say bad times. I'd say, like, I would consider something a fail if you haven't learned from it. If you're taking yeah. something out of it, whether it even be a perspective, like, when you win for too long, you lose the element of being humble. And you need that to keep you humble. So it's like the... I don't know how often it happens in NFL, but basically going an undefeated season and then rolling into the finals thinking you're top shit, thinking you're the best thing that ever happened to the world. And you get beat by a team that shouldn't have even come close to you on paper because they kept putting in the work. They were realistic. They didn't have their heads up their asses. And that's exactly it. Like those losses ended up being positive elements to help that team potentially beat the other team. Whereas that other team only winning, you have that one perspective and it gets drilled into you that you're the best. You're the best. It's just going to come to you rather than you trying to take all those actions to be the best you can and trust the process that at the end of the day or the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, whatever it may be, that you're going to get that goal. You're going to accomplish what you need to accomplish to get there. And it's not having that be too murky in your mind. Like obviously you can only control what you do on the day, but then you do that one day, you do it the next day. And A week quickly turns into a month, into a year. And then before you know it, your under 12 season has become an under 16 season. You're playing at state level or something like that by just doing the best you can every day. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm glad you corrected me on that, Aaron, because it's like these uh, when we do fail, we we always say, oh, that was bad. And I I, I agree with you. I think that that is the wrong word to use. It's just it it was what it was. 100%. And if you use that failure to learn, to continue to uh, get better at your craft and to just fall in love with what you're doing even more, then it's, it's totally worth it. And like you had said earlier, this is life. And I always, I don't know, like wh- like when I was growing up, like my, my parents had never put too much pressure on me, but like mm. if I failed, like my dad was a hard ass. Like I hate to say it, but he was like, <laughs> life's not fair. Like you got to deal yeah. with it. And like, I'm so glad he called me out on it. And like, yeah. has that um, built who I am today when I fail in my career and being an entrepreneur and trying to be a good strength coach? Like, yeah. Like I always go back to that time. I'm like, shoot, life isn't fair. I got to keep working. I got to keep getting better. Um, I think like everyone just collapses when a kid fails or when they're like the slowest on the team. It's like, well, do you want them to be perfect at everything they're doing? Like what type of what type of adult do we want to build?
1: Exactly. And it, it's 100%.
0: a hard, really hard question for people to ask themselves.
1: But It's fostering <laughs> better people rather than just just better athletes. You yeah. want them to be able to go into their life and have success in every area rather than just whether it be a- athletics or whatever sort of event they choose. And it's interesting like going back to the failure sort of point there. I feel that a lot of people get very emotional over, like, I didn't succeed. I failed. Like, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. But they look at it in hindsight, whether that be a week, a month, however long after the fact of the event that's happened there, and look at it with a completely different perspective because they don't attach that emotional perspective to it or that emotional sort of bias of this is how I felt in the moment. Like, I'm crushed. I'm defeated. I feel like I'm worthless because they're so emotional at that time. But then a year on, they look back at it and go, oh, like I can see that I may have felt that then, but that led me to this, 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 and this. And they're all positive things that have had them on an upward trajectory. But at the time, they thought it was their lowest point because there's that emotional component to it of I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And being able to almost take that out in the moment is such a big thing to be able to speed up that process, in my opinion. Like my general rule for whether it be myself or a lot of athletes that have a hard loss or something like that is you get 24 hours to grieve, console, cry yourself to sleep, whatever you need to do to let that emotional component out, feel it, experience it. Don't necessarily mute it. Like you want to validate it, but then move on. Once that's done, it's in the past, you finished it. Now you're just basically looking at the upward trajectory. What can you do from here? What can you move on? What can you prove? What can you learn from it? And reframe it in that sort of sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very valuable insight there. And yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's super important to just develop that resiliency around failures um, and just, to, just continue to improve. And um, like- Never be satisfied. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, look, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, we're not saying like, don't get emotional, like, feel your feelings, like be upset if something happens. But like, exactly. the 24 hour rule is great. It's like, okay, like, feel frustrated, feel upset, like, go cry. But like, tomorrow, when you wake up, it's on. Like, it's- exactly. When
1: you got to keep the day in the pants, that's what you do. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um what
0: what what else did you have uh, in your notes? I forget. Were we gonna talk about lacrosse and soccer? I forget.
1: <laughs> uh, let's go on to general holistic development of athletes. Like what how do you approach if a if a youth under twelve athlete came to you and said, I want to get better at everything, what's your sort of plan of, of attack there? What's your thought process? hmm
0: I'm I'm really big on just Everything that allows human beings to feel their most energized, uh, their most excited, uh, whether it's on the field or off. So, we do inventory every week, and the categories I do are um, their physical training. So, that's like doing your skill work, uh, you're getting in the gym, you're getting stronger, you're resilient to injury, um, stress management. So, how do you handle stress? Do you, do you meditate? Do you take a, a break from screens? Uh, do you go for walks in nature, uh, recovery? So that could be like their sleep, uh, their nutrition, and then academics, because they have to be good students. Um, like, it's, it's great to be good at your sport, but it's only going to take you so far. Like You're going to play that last game. It's a very small percentage of people who go on to play professional. Yes, I want everyone to strive for that if that's your goal. But we also have to remember that there's going to be a time when it's over, and you you need to have your academics or something else that you're passionate about. Um, so I also include like ho- other hobbies in there uh, because they can't they can't just put themselves in one box and be soccer players. And I had this discussion. Um, with a a guest on my podcast the other day and we were talking about serena williams and we're like wow like she just embodies just a a powerful woman not just for her tennis playing side but she's a mom she's a business owner like she's a great like she is she has her hands in everything and like that's really inspiring for uh just like young athletes or young female athletes who want to own a business or who want to do stuff other than sports. So I think it's important to always have something else going on. Um, And then the the last thing I have them take inventory on is their purpose. And this one, this one is the most important because a lot of people do um, everything backwards. So they focus on the, the external uh, rewards first, uh, whether it's like, you know, get the stats up or, uh, playing time or, uh, scholarships, but those tend to not be, um, sustainable and they don't, it doesn't like really help you develop your love for what you're doing. Cause you're, you are putting a lot of pressure on yourself. Whereas if you find your purpose, like if you feel good playing your sport or you feel, you can express yourself in a creative way or you feel excited or energized and you have that purpose to just train because you love it, then that's going to be much more sustainable. And if something bad happens, like you're just like, oh, that doesn't phase me. Like let's keep going. You're all with
1: the punches, 100%. It's attaching yourself to your, your worth, your value, to something that is essentially out of your control. Like whether I have an amazing game or not, I could score, I could not score. Like, there's so many other factors that aren't within your control there. So I could have the best game of my life and not score as a striker or something like that. But does that then mean that that game was worse than one where I scored three goals but they were all tap-ins and I played five minutes and then got injured? Like, not really. And then (laughs) going back to to the Serena Williams there, I think someone like that where they've obviously got so many different things going on, I love listening to podcasts with someone like that where they don't touch on their sport at all. Like yes, you could, so good. If You didn't know yeah. it was them. Yeah. There could be an interesting conversation with a business owner, a mum, whatever it may be. And they don't even touch on the thing that most people know them for. And I think that's so empowering there for someone that is generally seen through one lens. You're an athlete. Like that's all you do. You don't say anything else. And then looking at people come out and talk against and politics and the like where, did you see Zlatan come out and criticise LeBron for talking about politics recently? Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: And like, LeBron's <laughs> like, mate, you're coming at the wrong one. And that's exactly it, where he has so many other ventures. If you didn't know LeBron as an NBA athlete, he'd still have an amazing perspective to talk about from his philanthropy yeah. works, from his donation and, like, setting up of schools. Like, is it the, the I Believe or I Promise school? Or something along those lines where he's basically put thousands of kids through schools and yeah. has an amazing perspective on all life in general, going through uh, probably a quite a poor upbringing, as I'm sure many people would know about him, to being a very, very wealthy man. Like, would be amazing to hear from him, not even related to basketball. Same sort of idea there, where life yeah. experience and your own perception, sport is a way of developing that, but it is not the only development of that. Like, it extends so far beyond just what happens on field
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that the Zlatan thing was just I was like just stay out of it (laughs)
1: 100% 100% like if if someone wants to comment let them use their platform to make the change they see fit obviously within reason but for something like that where he's obviously quite an influential figure I see minimal harm in that and like Zlaichan can come out and say that, but then can get rebutted just as hard. Yeah. That's the, the benefit of having a platform that you're able to speak relatively freely from.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I, I, All right. I do want to come back to to purpose. Um, and uh-huh. I, I want to talk about it in the sense of just like, so, like some people can't, like they don't find it right away. Like there, there's some youth athletes that they're like, yes, like soccer or lacrosse, that's my purpose, I love it. Like I'm willing to like get out there every day. But then you have like some athletes where they're just like lukewarm about their sport. And uh, it, maybe that, that purpose comes later or it, they just never have it at all. And oh, exactly. I, don't, I don't think we can ever force purpose on people. It has to be discovered. And, um, and that's okay. Like if uh, I always tell my girls like if you end up quitting soccer in high school, and you want to do like, I don't know, like you want to play the trumpet or something like, that's great. Like, I'm glad you found like what you truly enjoy and, and what your purpose is. Like, it's not my job as a coach to be like, you need to love soccer, you need to play in college, you need to do this. Like this is something that people need to discover for themselves. Um, because like if I'm constantly forcing them to train or play soccer, or their parents are constantly saying, "Oh, yeah. you need to, go to coach Erica. You need to go work out in the gym with her," and they don't like it, like they're not going to be consistent with it. So, and that's fine. Exactly. There's no, there's no right or wrong. Like that's the
1: thing. <laughs> entirely, entirely agree there. Like it's <laughs> it's the sort of thing where if you're a parent and you're living vicariously through your kid you're doing them such a disservice setting them up for life by pushing your wants, yes. mental, emotional, physical sort of needs on them to be the person that you may have wanted to be. And you're trying to push them so hard in that direction, they, whether they like it, in a very few small amount of cases, maybe that's what they want to do and it aligns awesomely. And then they take after you or whatever it may be. But in 98% of cases, that's not going to be the case. And that's when you get those super specialised, kids that whether they play soccer six days a week do three sessions of coach strength coaching on top and then have club yeah. and training in school and like it just ends up being a mess and they're so burnt out that they end up hating it yeah this could be age 10 age 15 age 18 like and the sort of thing is it doesn't relate to ability level like just because they're really good at something doesn't mean they enjoy it like there's a bit of a disconnect there where Yes, the, the parent that's pushing them is like, oh, they're doing really well. They're scoring goals. They're, they're doing great. Like We're going to go to college or whatever it may be. But the, the child is so miserable going through the motions just to appease their parents, coaches, whoever it may be. But they feel like they have no out. And that's when I, I feel a lot of those more sort of mental social issues can come into play, like start rebelling because that's something they feel they have a little bit of control over. Just their attitude turns for, for the worse because they're not enjoying what they're doing. And that comes back to exactly to what you were saying about purpose and trying to find that. It's the sort of thing where I view that even going into adulthood, like for people that don't know what they want to do for a career, how many things have you really experienced to give you that past knowledge of what you like, what you enjoy. It's the sort of yeah. thing, in my view, if you haven't tried enough things to be able to have the, the perspective on what you could do, how, how are you meant to know? Like, as a yep. kid, if you have only ever played soccer or only ever played lacrosse and not really expanded beyond that, like there's so many different activities, hobbies, pastimes out there that you may love, maybe have a natural affinity for, maybe really talented at, but because you've never done it, you have no idea. And then you feel like you're longing for something more and you just don't know what it is. And that goes back exactly to that, where you just need to try things. And it's the sort of thing where, like, if if you quit soccer, you like, you're maybe a lukewarm on it. You like it. You enjoy it. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't spike that fire in you. Mm-hmm. You can quit it. Try so much. You can go back to it. Like there's not, there's no, yeah. Oh, you've burnt your bridge here. You're done completely. Like you can never touch a soccer ball again after looking at it away for, for three weeks. Like go back. Yeah. Whether like, you get a lot of people, like I've, I've played soccer on and off since I was, I don't know, probably 11 or 12. Like I've, gone from soccer, and then I've started playing lacrosse. I've gone back to picking up soccer again a little. I've then played a bit of basketball, back to soccer, can play lacrosse throughout. And it's the sort of thing, like, you can stop, chop, swap, chop, and change. Like, it doesn't – you don't have to lock one thing in and commit to it for your entire life. Like, Yeah, that's so That's true. the freedom.
0: That's such a good – oh, my gosh. Yeah, Aaron, that's such a good point. Like, I think, like, when, when parents are like, oh, my gosh, like, what if, what if they quit? Like, what if they don't like it? And we have to, like, take a break. They quit you're Yeah. And it's like, like you said, you can always go back. Like it's always going to be there. Like you're, it, and it's not like they're going to be a step behind if anything, when they get back after, I don't know, like a year or two hiatus, maybe they'll love it even more and they'll be even better. Like it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so that was, that's such a 100%. point. And another thing you had said, but um, like they just, their, their parents are forcing them to do it for all those years. And it's, I don't want to say it was time wasted, but they were constantly going to their sports practice that they didn't like when they could have been discovering those other things that they did like and they could have found that on, um, which is unfortunate. And I have seen this happen. I um, had had one girl who had played her whole life up until college, but it was a situation where her dad was living vicariously through her and she just kept playing grinding and just like not enjoying it. And then she committed to play in college at a good school. And then at the very last minute, she was like, I don't want to frickin do this anymore. And yeah. her dad was so upset. She didn't play in college. And I was like, look, like this was you did this. Like she, mm-hmm. she like, he, like was pressured so much for all those years. And then up into that point that you wanted her to get at. She's like she like reached her max. She's like, I'm done.
1: Yeah. Breaking it,
0: happens, it, it happens to thousands.
1: Hundred <laughs> like, percent. It's the sort of thing where <laughs> that that can sour the relationship between the the parent and the child there as well. Like
0: yeah, from a lot more like
1: psychosocial sort of family perspective there. Like
0: yes, that
1: can if you push hard enough, like that can break. Like that's not something that you want to mess with that hard. And like my my first job was actually like refereeing indoor soccer and like netball and a few at a sports center, essentially. And the amount of like parents that I would do like an under, an under sevens or eights game. So these kids like just learning to essentially walk and run around and then try and coordinate kicking a ball, like is a massive task for them. Yeah, You've got these parents on the sideline yelling, blasting them with instructions of go here, go there, like kick it over there. And it's like, let your kid have fun. Like, what are you going to achieve? they can't comprehend running and kicking a ball at the same time. If yeah. you're barking positional instructions at them at the same time, like they're not even hearing you. Like you're wasting your breath there. Why, uh, why do you feel that's a beneficial thing to occur? And like it's so a lot of time, like maybe, maybe they didn't know better. Maybe that's how they were coached at the time. And that's what they see as like the best way. Yeah. But you got to apply some like common sense to that. If you're, You know what your young child is like at home. If you have a a seven-year-old that can't eat without getting food over half of their body, do you think they're going to be able to listen to your tactical instructions while they're on a field playing with all this noise and stimulus around them? Like, no.
0: Yeah. They're probably, like, picking weeds or, like, looking at the sun. Like, you know, like... Literally.
1: (laughs) Digging in the dirt.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, and Uh. and back to just really educating ourselves on, or educating parents on child development um, physically, uh, but also mentally and from a neuroscience standpoint, and, um, and the, the, the brain is, is something I'm really fascinated with, and there's just so much we, we don't know about it, uh, especially with youth, but um, like ev- every drill that, that we do or every um, session that we run, we should be asking, is this good for their brain? Is it is it good for helping them uh, be independent in their thinking, be creative, uh, problem-solve, and we don't give them all the answers? And usually when we put the the brain first, then the, the physical stuff comes second. Um, so that's always been an interesting find for me is just – really designing sessions based on optimizing, building neural connections in the brain and like really getting kids to connect the left and right hemisphere. I think a lot of kids nowadays are more um, left brain dominant and they're more in like the the analytical and like the structured side and they um, are always given the answers or everything's rehearsed. Um, so just like really adding in the, the right brain and the spontaneity and the creativity is Creative really expression. beneficial. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah I, I think that's amazing. And it's the sort of thing like t- tailoring back to where we were talking sort of adult versus youth, like training demands there of as an adult, you're generally going to be relatively developed already. Like you don't need that same like engagement factor in a drill. Like if I'm giving parameters within here to here for your, for the child to basically express themselves in this wide range of a drill like if i say you have to run between these three tones but you can do it in any way you want you have to spin five times you have to roll twice and mm-hmm. then they have to think but they also have to express creatively like mm-hmm. something like that they may get so much more out of from a spatial awareness perspective rather than me just saying run to here to here
0: yeah but they may get more out
1: of it from there again a coordination proprioceptive perspective and working their body with their mind in in conjunction there whereas for an adult squad or something like that like i'd maybe give them similar parameters but you have to do this to this and incorporate more like tactical elements where you have to make this pass looking this way and then shuttle back to here and then react to something over here where it's obviously a lot more sort of constrained and you don't have the, the freedom of true expression there but again it's tailoring the drill to the person i'm giving it to Mm-hmm. I need very different things out of a, a prime 26 year old athlete than I would a six year old. Mm-hmm. They're going to be completely different, but you, you're trying to develop them both. It's just very different spots on that same timeline there as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's just fascinating to just research more on the, the brain benefits to um, training youth. Um, but also, like you said, uh, the, the older, clients as well and and they need it uh just as much if not more but um 100%. actually uh do you have any more things that you want to discuss yeah. um so,
1: yeah
0: Oh, so i remember like looking at your list and i'm like oh my gosh this, this is so good hour so the max for an ig live is like four hours which is crazy
1: <laughs> Jeez. but
0: we're not gonna go that far <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right so you One or two more. So what are your thoughts on athletes focusing on one sport as a bit of a specialization versus playing multiple, whether that be concurrently or over different seasons, like a summer winter sort of season split? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I love this one because I've been going back back and forth on it a lot. And um, in the past or early in my coaching career, I was like, oh, early specialization, bad but we have to define it first so everyone defines it a little bit differently so this is where it gets nuanced but uh some people say it's just um every season they're they're playing organized sports with like no other activity but then you have another scenario where they're they're playing the same sport uh every season but they're still uh supplementing with A performance program and some strength and conditioning and that scenario is when I would say it's okay Um, because the the strength training can count as a second sport and it's nice because um, it's much easier to avoid uh, overuse injuries from from all the impact from running like sports like soccer and lacrosse in the same season you don't want to do that Mm -hmm. soccer and basketball but if you're doing soccer And then strength training, you're getting all the the impact and and the running from the soccer. But the strength training, you're just building up the athlete to be able to handle all that. So that's when I would say it's okay. Um, But then when when we look at the greats again, um, like LeBron, uh, Tom Brady, uh, Serena Williams, Mia Hamm, they all early sampled – and now it seems like everyone wants to do the opposite of what the greats did, which I'm like, wait, but like it did work for them and it worked for many people. Mm. And I think, um, parents are just pressured now, uh, which sucks. Like the, the, the system set up as, as a business. And unfortunately they're, they feel pressured to play year round. They're, they're paying year round dues. So I think that's, um, that's tough for them to navigate and i know like some coaches will will penalize like 8-year-olds for going to like soccer players going to like a gymnastics practice and missing mm-hmm. soccer and like penalizing them at a really young age so i think parents are like trying to please the coach but like trying to make the kid happy so it is a really tough situation to navigate but um i will say like it's it's okay to not be in travel sports year round until you're like in high school like it's okay like you're not gonna you're not gonna be late to the party you're not going to fall behind if anything you're only going to to benefit from it um not just from a physical standpoint like that's cool and all like developing coordination spatial awareness and all those things like cool but from a, a social standpoint and being in different environments with new coaches and uh, new teammates like soccer girls are very different than lacrosse girls you know like mm-hmm. so it's good to just get that social aspect I think um the more for sure. variety for kids the better um so I go back and forth like it's it's very nuanced and I don't want to mm-hmm. like be so far on one side like oh early specialization sucks or oh I'm all about early sampling I I think it it depends and I know that's not like the sexy <laughs>
1: yeah no I I would agree completely honestly I think with, with most things training related you can generally make a case either side like often it'll tip one side than the other but a case can be made for both like this is a prime example like I would say it depends entirely like the context is everything it's the sort of thing where like in my view the more specialized the sport is the more important a bit of variability in it is is needed so something like say Running yep. or swimming, where you're logging huge amounts of kilometers, miles, and the like in very specific positions, that then becomes more important to get essentially the antitoxin work of whether it be strength training, whether it be another sport, as just some movement variability. That's when they become more important. But say something like soccer, basketball, lacrosse, like football to a degree. Where there are a lot more open-based skills, like not so much, not so close, but you're repeating the exact same pattern over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. You you can get by just playing the same sport. Is that optimal? Arguable either way. I would say it depends on the person as much. Like going back to Tom Brady, LeBron, Serena Williams, Birmingham, et etc., all of those individuals were obviously incredibly driven and so motivated to be the best at what they did. Had they played another sport, probably would have been Maybe not as successful. They obviously gravitate towards ones that their body and physiology work well for, i.e. like LeBron's 6'8 LeBron and at 250 isn't going to be an Olympic diver. It just ain't going to happen. But he could have been a good football player. Serena Williams could have potentially played in the WNBA with her level of power and athleticism. Wouldn't be surprised. But they they succeeded because they committed and were driven enough to put in the work to be the best at what they did. Whether like and a lot of some like specific sports have a lot of correlation. So like basketball and lacrosse have a decent amount of correlation in the way that the actual game is structured in terms of pick and rolling and the like. And players that are very successful at one can often go on to do the other. So I'm not sure if you've heard of Pat Spencer. He was a Loyola player who won the Tawarton, like best for college lacrosse player, and was incredibly dominant. One of co- best ever college players went on to play a fifth year of basketball at Northwestern because was very good at one, was also very good at the other. Mm-hmm. And AI, like Alan Iverson, was a better football recruit than he was a basketball recruit. Again, was very successful at both, playing both. Does that mean everyone can succeed at both? I would say no. It takes yeah. a lot of mental attention and ability to be able to spread yourself thinner than that. Rather than just the one sport where obviously a lot of people succeed just playing one. People succeed playing two. There's no there's no correct answer there. It's a very context situation by situation sort of dependent thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, going back to the specialization level of how close the skill is. Like a lacrosse player that then plays soccer in the offseason is probably going to benefit a lot more from that than an Olympic gymnast or something like that. Where it's a, a more of a closed sort of skill and they're not getting the same reaction component to a, to a defender, to an opponent there where I am getting better at seeing spatial awareness sort of in terms of reading defenses and the like. That's a universal skill between sport. Mm-hmm. Being able to see the space and project myself in there, again, universal between sport. And those are are the sort of pillars that allow you to transfer from one to the other and get better without actually playing your sport. Yes. But again, it goes back to, is that something that you're, if you're enjoying it more, going and playing something else, and it's a bit of a break from your sport, from your grind, as per some people may call it, you may come back mentally refreshed. And that alone may be enough of a benefit to take a little bit of time off there and come back. Like you look at what Jordan did, how he went to Michael Jordan, went to play baseball. I think I just swallowed a fly.
0: Yikes. (laughs)
1: Mm, protein anyway there you go uh, yeah michael jordan went to play baseball in the middle of their like they won three in a row then he dipped got bored whatever it may be then comes back and has a renewed sort of vigor for the game and then goes and wins three more would that have happened if he had stayed there arguably yes no like he form wise was in there but if he's not mentally invested enough like how how can you change that you can't change that by putting more effort in mm-hmm. that's it's not something that's that controllable yeah you need, in that, my view anyway. you need that
0: variability
1: exactly yeah. and even just a, like a change of scenery a change of situation can provide that on its own
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's gosh it's so important to to just have that variety and um I, i've seen it I've seen it a lot with soccer players. they just hit a wall they hit a wall in high school because they had specialized too early and like their parents are just frustrated they're like wait why why aren't they reacting fast enough? why aren't they moving into yeah. and like see, reading the game why aren't they a couple steps ahead but then like when I uh see the players who had played other sports and got that variability, but it had some carryover. So like lacrosse or basketball, or even like fencing, Um, they were more aware of how to like move their bodies in space and how to react. And like, they were the ones who weren't hitting a wall. They were surpassing everyone else. Um, Another, another example, I I talked to an amazing track runner the other day. Um, She played, she ran track uh, division one in college and like broke a ton of records. And she was like, like, I, I did softball and dance mm. until age 13 and then she did track, exactly then she did track and she she broke records um and what she said was the the dance especially because a lot of people are like whoa track and dance so vast. rhythm and timing it's crazy yeah it, it was really the, yeah. the the rhythm uh the the coordination and she said, like, as soon as she, like, ran a sprint or got into hurdling, she was ready to go. Like, she knew how to, like, uh, strike the ground. She knew how to – Feel the cadence like, of it. It was just very smooth because she had done dance. And, like, some 100%. friends get frustrated because they're just, like, running the hurdles over and over again. And it's like, well, putting in more work isn't, not, isn't necessarily going to help. You need to have that – Exactly. It's not always help. the answer. And it's like, it's, it's the definition of, of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results.
1: Yeah, like, 100%. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's very interesting, like, because I would argue that whether it be even from a non-justice sporting perspective, like a lot of musicians have the same sort of epiphany there, for lack of a better term, where the rhythm and timing and sense of like sort of flow they develop from playing their instrument carries over when they get to a sporting field. Cause I mean, everything yeah. is timed and cadence. how well I can react to an opponent coming at me. Yeah. It's still a timing thing. Like I need to see you move. I need to then time my movement to sort of intercept you or whatever it may be. And yeah, I know a lot of musicians that have the same sort of flow and rhythm sense there and going back to what you were point. talking in terms of the athlete that doesn't look very sort of interested, feels slower on field. And they're like, are you familiar with like flow state?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna butcher his name, but Chicksai Mensi, I high, or <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. You it's know who like I mean though, yeah?
0: 20 letters long, like I don't know. That's
1: the know. one. Yeah. His sort of theory of optimal arousal and like intensity level of the of the difficulty level, where you need your arousal level to be high enough to match the difficulty level. So if the difficulty level's super high. I need to be just as aroused to match that perfect point. If my arousal level is really low and it's anything beyond a a laughable sort of contest, you're not really going to be in that flow state. You're going to look disengaged. You're going to look slow. You're going to feel out of sync with everything going on around you just because you're not as invested as the other people around you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's it's, it's it's very tough to manufacture flow state. You need to have the circumstances line up and be ready on the day for that sort of thing. Like, I'm sure you can think back to a couple times in your career, or probably hopefully many, where you've had that perfect alignment of situations that you were just, that was it. That was the day you were dialed in. Yeah. And you think back and you're like, I can understand that now why I got into it then, but there'd probably be times after that where you felt just as good circumstances have been all the same and you just haven't been in there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes into play when you're thinking of another sport where the challenge may be higher than if like if you're quite good at your sport whether it be cycle, across whatever and you do quite well in your normal sort of season and you go on to something where the challenge is completely different you're still like physically and athletically capable but it's new circumstances you're having to perceive different things you have to execute different skills and mm-hmm. that challenge goes up but then your arousal is already perfect there and they match and that's the sort of thing where I really like the experience can be mm-hmm. so beneficial.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I do, you, I think this relates to burnout as well. Um, it, like the pe- the people who are doing like the, the five days a week of the same sport over and over again, some of mm. them struggle to, to get into that flow state because the, the arousal is just, it's just so high and it's like the same. Your nervous
1: so- system is beat up.
0: Yeah, they're just, they're just beat up. They're doing the same thing, like too, too much repetition and they're just frustrated. And a, a lot of people do get into a rut um, or they just kind of, they just plateau. So I think that we going have through to the motions. At, yeah, going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's such a good point. I never tied flow state to, to the concept of, of burnout and, and early
1: specialization. That's a really, mm-hmm. really interesting point. I, th- I think it's quite interesting as well. Like, obviously, Australia versus the States have a very different sort of sporting structure overall. Like, we aren't very big on, like, sort of high school sport. Like, we have – everything is basically clubs where you go and play for your – say, like, I live in I live Yarville, so my local club might be Yarraville Soccer Club. And I go play for them and we do our trainings outside of, like, normal sort of school time and the like train a Tuesday or Thursday and then maybe play, play on a Saturday or something like that. And that, like, if you're doing extra work on top, that's generally in your own time. So even throughout high school, it's quite interesting to see the the dichotomy there of, like, because obviously I follow, I'm follow, i quite invested in the lacrosse scene and that's way, way bigger in America than it is here. So seeing, like, athletes that play for their high school team are playing travel at the same time and then trying to play, like, a club on top or they're going to – recruiting events and it's like you've got four different streams there that might be easily be seven days a week like if you're trying to perform seven days a week how do you expect to a last just longevity wise how do you expect to be able to perform at your best if you're constantly beat up and super fatigued and then that's not even factoring any any school any grades any social development whether you're getting towards the later end of your teen years, you might have a job, you might have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you might have other hobbies as well. And like, it essentially takes over your life there. And it's quite interesting, yeah, to see the the difference of how it is here, where high school sport does exist, but generally it's sort of localized to within private schools where they play one another. Whereas like most normal high schools and public schools, like you have one day per term where you basically go into a round robin against the other schools in your area. If you win that, you go to the next one. And that's one more day. And then you win that, you go to States. And that's like three or four days of sport in a term. You may get one or two practices, like as a team before that. Generally, it's like the day before at a lunchtime. You give up your lunchtime to go talk to the coach with the team, essentially. And like, it's such a different system. And I would say it's not inherently better or worse. It's just the way that it is, whether that be through previous previous structures being set up as to locationally or I have no idea why that is that way, but that's just the way that it is. What are your thoughts on the differences there?
0: Well, I was going to, I was going to ask you what, what would be your ideal schedule for, um, (laughs) uh,
1: that's tough. I, (laughs) I, I, from my perspective, I can only really, I guess, it's, experience and sort of enunciate what I would have been through in our system. Whereas Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know the ins and outs of yours to the same degree. I can look at it from an outside perspective, but I can't comment on within. So say, say I'm talking for an Australian athlete, the way I would say as a youth athlete, someone talking sort of 12 to 16 in that sort of bracket, I would Mm -hmm. say two sort of team training orientated sessions, Mm -hmm. obviously intensity, intensity, scaled appropriately one to two sort of extra like conditioning sessions whether that be like lifting weights whether that be working out specific things whatever it may be just some sort of solo training aside from the sport team training and then a game so that that does total five days a week i think it's important to to go with the flow for lack of a better term there where if you've had of an overtime game on the Saturday and you're meant to do some sort of lift on Sunday, like if you need to completely scale down the intensity, like it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Your recovery for that next week and being in a position where you can attack the week is probably more important than that Sunday session at full intensity. Mm-hmm. If you can drop that to whether it be you cut the volume by 50%, you cut the intensity of your working weights by 50%, or you just, instead of going and doing a weight session, you play some spike ball or you go for, like, some park frisbee or something where you're getting that mental break as well and you're enjoying what you're doing and having fun, like, that can be enough of a refresher where you may work so hard, but it doesn't feel like work because you're enjoying it. It's the sort of thing where, like, Mm -hmm. if I told you, all right, you're going to go for a a five-mile run and basically just slog it out, how hard do you think that perceived effort's going to be doing that versus if I got you to play a 90-minute soccer game, like mm-hmm. a fun social sort of game there where you, you may run five miles as well, but mm-hmm. it's going to feel like that and you're going to have fun doing it compared to the five-mile just straight pounding the pavement run. Mm-hmm. And that's like that, that mental break as well where I think we put a lot... We put, almost put too much emphasis on the physical recovery without the mental recovery there.
0: Yeah. yeah. That
1: extra work may be better for me as a, as a whole system, than just individual components of, all right, we're going to drop the intensity here slightly, but I still feel mentally exhausted from the day before and I don't want to get in the weight room. So like, what do I do?
0: Yeah. That's a good template. I I do like that. Hmm. The, the two times a week with, with the team is a nice sweet spot. Um, three, three at the most, and then ensuring they're getting that twice a week with the, with the physical training, like the strength. Work. And then I do like the idea of the recovery. It doesn't just have to be a bunch of stretching. It could be just you play a fun game, you could maybe just do like around a round of dodgeball or some handball, and they're, they're getting the mental break from their sport, but they're still developing these other athletic qualities, and they're getting that training variability in. Um, so we can we can say that the the year round athlete is is playing a, another sport in, in a way. Um, exactly. That's something I've definitely done in, in my sessions. Is we'll warm up with handball. Why not? I love it. If we if we do that uh, ten minutes uh, every day or every time they come in, like they're they're getting so much out of that than just always doing like the structured dynamic warm up that I take them through. Uh, it's nice to just change, change it up a little bit. And a, a lot of these soccer players, they're they're always kicking. They're all, they're very quad dominant. It's like look, like I want to develop the upper as well. Um, so yeah, we're yeah. gonna play ball. We're gonna play dodgeball. We're gonna. I don't know do like wheelbarrow races like
1: (laughs) encourage competitiveness as well I think that's a theme in all of the things you've mentioned there like you're allowing them to be competitive and you're encouraging that while warming up and like that that's awesome like yeah I, I do a lot of sort of like med ball throws and like even with my sort of general population clients where we might warm up with like an iso lunge hold or something like that and just go all right like this was your time last time let's see how close you can get to beating that or beat it or this is what I'm setting you for today. I want to see if you can get in a hundred war balls under three minutes or something like that, where I try and give them a time, a score or something to compete against, or whether it's a partner, like if it's a two on one session, they're competing against each other. There, like, obviously scale to ability level as best you can, Mm -hmm. but making it so that they're both in with a chance to win. And like, everyone wants to compete, like whether people say it or not, like, I think it's something very tied to just human nature as a whole. Like, we're competitive beings and yeah. then uh, encouraging that and like fostering that in that environment is awesome especially with like youth athletes where i think the whole it's a bit of a rabbit hole but the whole system trying to take competitiveness out of people trying to make everything completely even completely fair completely null across the board yeah. removing people's competitive nature is more Everyone prominent gets a, than ever like <laughs> exactly everyone like participation medals
0: yeah whether
1: i'm not too sure what your thoughts are on that but i'm sure you're probably going to be similar vein where
0: i I don't want
1: a participation i don't want a medal for coming eighth yeah like that defeats the whole purpose of a medal if i win cool give me recognition for winning if i don't i keep moving i realize i need to assess what i did wrong assess what i can do better and go from there like and that's the thing you can have the perfect lead-up to something and lose because they were just better on the day. Like, it mm-hmm. is what it is at the end of the day. Like, if your be-all, end-all is going to be just winning there, like, it's it's not great. Mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you, but that's that's not always going to happen. There's mm-hmm. going to be things. Like, a referee might make a call against you. You can have the perfect game and then lose because the ref decided to call a penalty for the other team in the, the 96th minute of injury time. Yeah. Like, it ain't always fair, but developing that resilience to then bounce back from something where you feel you may have been screwed over is so huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
0: that um, that everyone gets a participation trophy culture just it doesn't <laughs> it, it doesn't encourage hard work. Um, so exactly, I, why would I, I put the I same mean, effort in? Definitely against it um, because it's not real life. Um, if I exactly if I'm, like a gold star every time I went into work today or like wrote a blog post, like I'll be like, what the heck? Like, I don't need to do this. Like, or you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's just like, you think
1: it's good for the first week and then realize that whether I do my work, whether I don't do my work, I'm getting rewarded either way. So it's, it it moots the whole point.
0: Yeah, it does. It discourages, uh, hard work and creativity. Ambition even. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ambition on top.
0: No, I, um, I want to shift gears and I just want to ask you like a totally like offbeat question. But, um, I, so like, I know we had, uh, like conversations, uh, last year about how, like, we saw the silver lining in, uh, 2020. And I I just want to know, like, what are you doing to move forward in 2021? Um, based off of like what you went through last year and like how how you had to adapt like what what are your what's your main focus this year as a coach as a business owner a content creator
1: I love it awesome question so obviously to to those who aren't sort of aware last year was a a good a good year for the way that I look at it I try to take positives out of everything like that I was able to sort of move on from the my first sort of job in the industry of training as a personal trainer out of a a local gym and was able to basically get all performance legitimized and started there so i have taken most of my clients or had taken most of my clients off begun training in sort of more outdoor areas and the like and started to scale up there and going into sort of 2021 my main sort of focuses are to essentially try and help and reach more people than i can in just a physical sort of Physical area, physical location, because obviously, lacrosse, my sort of specialized sport, isn't too big within Australia. And the amount of people that play in American Canada far, far outweighs what we have here. So at the moment, I've actually got uh, an ebook in the work called Rotational Blueprint. So that's coming along quite good. Essentially, yeah. what that is, is going to be a, a comprehensive training program that tailors the strength and sort of structural work with technical drills as well as movement sort of mobility drills so it's like a Mm three-part comprehensive training program that you could run multiple cycles of so you run it for two months here then you can run it back again with modified numbers and the like and have that dial in your ability to run fast throw with power and handle the demands of that sort of sport so that doesn't just potential across that can expand expand to baseball, softball, handball, like American football, tennis, javelin, discus, shot put, all of the above. Mm-hmm. So that's that's in the works now. I'm looking at sort of expanding within my own physical area as well, and up up upping the numbers of people I'm working with essentially, mm-hmm. whether that be general population that want to move better, feel better, live healthier lives, and feel feel more content within their own body it's sort of thing like obviously covid has amplified a lot of the habits people had before whether that be good or bad so people have gotten fitter stronger healthier faster than ever because it's given them more time to focus on what they were doing on the other side of the coin though people have also also lost a lot of their fitness whether that be putting on weight losing strength losing mobility and movement capability there so being able to sort of reach out in within my own area and scale up there is another sort of thing i'm focusing on as well Mm -hmm. looking at the potential of maybe a venue as well within the next sort of eight to twelve months which is quite exciting uh yeah just basically biding my time on that one for now waiting for the right sort of opportunity to present itself or not even present itself but for the opportunity to be the right time to meet it That's
0: awesome, Aaron.
1: That's that's about it. What about you? What are your what are your sort of thoughts going into 2021? Or oh, I say going into 2021, but it's like almost mid-March. <laughs> you
0: know, is, um, well, yeah, first off, I I think that's exciting. I think uh the ebook that you're writing, it is very niche, but like you said, it can be used for all rotational sports. So I'm like really excited to see what you come up with there and just blending the the technical and physical aspect. That's really, really cool. Um and then I know that you were talking about getting a facility so that's exciting that you're mm-hmm. um, still thinking about that and, and that might happen in the year. So that's really that's really cool. It's been awesome to just like since I forget when we had first uh exchanged messages, I think it might have been like 3 months ago maybe, but yeah, it's just been uh since, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just been awesome to see just your your growth and like your content and just like who you're that's working awesome. with. Yeah, it's really cool.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Um okay so for me like i'm i'm at the point where i'm like really moving into purpose even more and i'm just not like early on in my coaching career like i did put a lot of pressure on myself like pressure to uh, get certifications, pressure to get more clients. And of course, like you're starting a business, of course, you're going to put pressure on yourself to get clients, Uh, pressure to uh, create content, uh, get on social media everywhere. And like, I just feel for like the past nine years, like, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I love what I do more and more each year. But I did put a lot of pressure on myself. And like, now I'm at the point, I'm just like, I'm exhausted. Like I'll be honest, like I am totally I can say that. i'm totally exhausted and um it, it wasn't until like 2020 uh last year where i was just like you know what like screw it like i'm just going to just have fun with this and not even put pressure on myself anymore like i just i, I just don't even like care like i just i'm gonna just like focus on still getting good at my craft like having fun in the sessions relaxing like not being so serious all the time Um, and that's just been such a nice change. And now in 2021, I just want to have even more fun with it. And, um, like now that I'm in, uh, Tampa, it's, it's really humbling. And I, I feel like I am back at the beginning of my career, which is really nice because like, I hate to curse, but like, I'm, I'm not shit here. Like no one knows me (laughs) and it's kind of cool. Um, (laughs) because I have to say just be grateful for for anyone who wants to work with me and like really serve them and do a good job um but again not i'm exactly. not pressure on myself like i did early in my career and and that's been fun um so yeah i um i'm working with a couple of athletes already uh, i'm in week 3 here and when i met them for the first time i'm just like i'm just really grateful for you guys like that's what i said to them i was like i'm 100% really yeah like um, so I just I just want to just keep having fun with it keep keep impacting kids in Tampa um, like I had done in Maryland for the past several years and uh, worldwide remotely like I just want to go like really big with this because like th- this stuff is a requirement like the strength training for for all youth athletes like this, this is a requirement like you can't there's no excuses it's, it's so beneficial for you physically and mentally and. I want them to really enjoy doing it, and that's that's mm. been, and that's that's the purpose that I'm really leaning into this year. Is like I just want everyone to have access to this um, because it is easy to execute. It is easy to do like twice a week of strength at home if you have to. Like um, so, from a content standpoint, I just want to get out like really simple and like actionable content so people can like execute it immediately
1: <laughs> very big take-home points there yeah yeah 100%. oh yeah, i think it's quite interesting obviously talking about how you were trying to basically scale yourself up as big as possible whilst also putting that pressure on yourself to deliver i think that goes back hand in hand with what we're talking about with a lot of youth athletes where yeah that emotional component of
0: Oh, did you pause? (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah, we're (laughs) good. (laughs) Oh no, I think I'm losing Aaron. (laughs) Uh oh. Oh, hold on. Let me. Um, I'm gonna try and get him on here again all right um no (laughs)